I've got two kings in a pod. I've got two kings in a pod. I got two kings, baby, in a pod. I got two kings, baby, in a pod. Not one, but two. No uno, pero dos. I got two, baby, in a pod. Oh, I got two kings, baby. In a pod, not those two keys for the fire. Not them two keys in the garage. I got two keys, baby. In a pod, oh, I got two keys, baby. In a pod. It's your boy, see what holler. It's deeper than rap. Hey, hey, the pod, pod. It's not a podcast, it's a pod experience. Hey, man, I can't even call it a podcast no more, man. I gotta call it podcast, man. It was straight wow. Hey, Podcasting, and you got to give the people, give the people what they want. <laughs> What's up, my boy? What's up, man? What's up, y'all? It's your boy, Free Blanche, aka He Is Blanche, aka Is Blanche Baby, aka Free Busy. Be, be did it. Facts. Listen, man, two kings in the pod. A song comes top of mind that's relevant to the topic that we're going to touch on today. I believe my boy Sam Cook said it best. I know a change is going to come. Change is going to come. Do you have a chance to see that Netflix special? Oh, yeah, man. I loved it, man. You know, when, when Sam Cook said a change was going to come, Y'all thought he was talking about something else other than that money. He was talking about that bread. <laughs> Sam Cook was about that bread. Sam said a change, not some change. <laughs> not some change. He said a change. I need my yeah, not 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 a change, not some change, a change. A change. Listen to me, man. Yeah, change gonna come. Like I love that. I love that song. Historically speaking definitely socially 
socio-political yeah. uh, for, for his day. You're an artist right now. You make music, socially yes. conscious music. Who, what artists from that era do you feel like linked to? I mean, there's so many um, because in that time, you know, a lot of artists uh, were about the people. I've heard it say even like, so, you know, Marvin Gaye really resonates with me. Uh, Stevie Wonder really resonates with me. Sam Cooke really resonates with me. Nina Simone really resonates with me. Uh, just a lot of artists that, you know, put their careers in jeopardy by speaking out for the people. Yeah. You know, um, even on Sam Cooke's song, you know, A Change Gonna Come, it's a second verse that's all they never get to. You know what I mean? Back, back then they didn't get to it. They, they, they play it now. They play it now, but back then they, they didn't want to play that part of the song because it basically was sending a message. And he had a line that was cold. He said, then I go to my brother and I say, brother, help me, please. But he winds up knocking me back down on my knees. Yeah. Like, he's talking about the frustration of trying to save your people. It's been a long, a long time coming, but I know a change gonna come. Oh, yes, it will. Then I go to my brother And I say, brother, help me please But he winds up knocking me Just a little tan, oh, like a river I've been running. <laughs> <laughs> Bring it all home to me, yeah, 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 yeah. I'll give you children and money too. It's your boy, C. Will Holler, a.k.a. The Podfather, a.k.a. The Professional Conversationalist, a.k.a. The Hardest Working Man in Podcasting. And this is Two Kings in the Pod, and we came to give the people dot, 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 and give the people what they want. With my co-host, Mr. He Is Blanchard, a.k.a. Free Blanch. Blanch, how you doing tonight, man? Oh, I'm doing great, man. How you doing? <laughs> they say they hanging, but they ain't swinging, baby. Man. My dad hid something from me a long time ago. We play hide and go seek. We play hide and go seek a lot. And my dad told me it's hanging but not swinging. I told the house up. <laughs> I told the house up, man. And I couldn't find it. He said it's hanging but not swinging. Boy, it was a cold. It was a cold place to hide it, man. <laughs> he hit it. 
hid it behind this big picture in the living room. It was a, a big lion paint my mom had in the living room. My dad hid it behind that picture, man. The, the, the words are so cold to be, man. It's hanging. <laughs> but it ain't swinging. It's hanging, but it ain't swinging. I said, man, I tore the house up. And it was right there in your and face. And it was right there in my face. Where the truth usually is. Man, where the truth is. Great segue into what we're going to be talking about a little bit this evening. But, man, listen, let's catch up a recap from the last podcast. I know you've been getting a lot of questions and response. I know I have about the last time we recorded uh, episode three, discussing R. Kelly. What's been the response so far since we've been doing this podcast? I think that folks feel like it's the truth. Yeah, you know, I would agree. I think people feel like we're telling the truth. And... When we speak, we speak with conviction. We not Facts. we not tap dancing. We actually just saying <laughs> how we feel. I mean, we two kings in the pod. We two kings in the pod. No faking and no facade. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> you killed me when you said two kings in the pod, not two keys in the fob. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, not two keys in the saw. <laughs> not two keys in the saw. Saying two keys in the trunk of that, that hatchback sock. Man, two keys of that yaya. <laughs> <laughs> Not two jugs of that tada. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Come on, man. Well, listen, man. Yeah, I got the same response from a lot of people. Um, Regarding the, regarding the podcast that we not only regarding the two kings in a pod podcast, but definitely getting a lot of response and a lot of positive resonation with um, a lot of positive resonance with in my mind. Everybody knows Chris and the work that I'm doing on the men's show. Yeah, I know. I know you got to be getting a lot of great positive feedback about the dirty soapbox. But you know what? I've been getting my videos together. I need to put them on my Instagram page. I don't, I don't pump it up enough. You don't? Yeah, and I remember we talked about that with your podcast in the beginning. You didn't really share it with anybody. And then once you shared it, it took off. So I got to really put my foot down on, put it on my Instagram page and, you know, really sharing it. And yeah. I'm just trying to find the right clips, but I actually got some now. I got some from you. got some that I'm picking. So I just wanted to put them out there, you know, and just let it do what it do. Well, actually, I got some advice from, you know, a millennial today, which was sound advice, sound sage advice. And I've been hearing a lot of this from people in the past um, about, you know, doing the snippets. I have people all the time yeah. tell me I like the snippets. I like the snippets. And what what it, what is going to do? Because, you know, it, it, it's funny because you get all this advice and then you ask people and people, you know, fully admit to your face. Oh, well, I ain't listened to the podcast. You know, I'm just following up with the snippets. And that's cool. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's how people consume media. If you think about everything that is published and produced is a very microwaved version of, you know, the real deal. Now, there are people who are tuning into the podcast. Like, I, I definitely know that for sure because people are coming back to me, giving me specifics about the podcast, things that yes. I didn't do a snippet of. And I think people catching on slowly but surely but listen we're gonna keep giving the people what they want more importantly we're gonna keep giving the people what they need facts and you know you, you can think about it instagram you got 60 seconds facts and, and you know that's pretty much as long as you're gonna get to captivate somebody's attention especially if you got some worthwhile information you got 59 seconds so if you got something good you better if you got some foolishness they'll scroll and listen all day but if you got some some meat and potatoes, 
you got 59 seconds. You better wild him from the first word. <laughs> the, the, well, first, the first phrase better get him. Well, listen, I'll tell you this. You have mastered delivering a message in those 60 seconds on, on Instagram. It, it's like you give these, I don't know how you fit so much information, so much insight, so much introspection in a 60 second soundbite. Like you, you've mastered that. Not only do are your bullets like concise and they're on point and they feed up to the larger message but the background clips that you add <laughs> either add context add value to the concept or or they make you laugh yeah. like i I'll, personally i want to ask you this man how long does it take you to put the damn things together <laughs> honestly i can do one of those videos in about 20 to 30 minutes I don't believe you. I'm serious. Like, how do you come up with those clips? Like, cause you, cause not only are you recording yourself, yeah, you're recording yourself. You're chopping up videos, yeah, like editing it down to 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 deliver the the treat, so to speak. And then you got like all this background information, and then you have this long description. Yeah, <laughs> all that to it, man. Listen, you. I went to school for television productions and there's no way like it takes me I've gotten pretty good at the podcast in, in a short amount of time I will admit that but you've mastered that 60 second clip but you know what I do though so I'll do a first I'll do a video of just me talking about it. Mm -hmm. so I, I already get a script memorized in my head then I may record the same video three or four times by the fourth time I record it I've already got it down, but you got to think that's in a five minute, six minute span because they 60 seconds a piece. I'm hitting record right back. Then once I record it, I've already looked at videos. I've already read articles. So what folks don't know is I've already read articles and did research on what I'm about to talk about. So by the time I get to spitting out stuff, it's from information I've already gathered from what I'm about to talk about. So not like I'm just going there blindly doing it. No, I, I know what I want to talk about. Then on top of that, I go look for videos. Mm -hmm. I listen for, I look for videos. So by the time I get ready to even record a video, I already got about four videos saved to edit. And I already got the information from the articles. So by the time I'm spitting stuff out, I'm already, it's already done. Now, that is just me going on social media every day, just looking at stuff on news feeds or whatever, and then doing it. But now I get to the point where I can do a video on my car on the way to work. And by the time I get to work, And we're back. Two kings in the pod. Which boy, C. Will Holler, a.k.a. the pod father. And my homeboy, he is Blanche, a.k.a. Free Blanche. Free Blanche. We got to pay them bills, too, dog. We do. <laughs> we do. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody like that. <laughs> we're talking about when, when the when change go come, when the check go come. When the check go come. Y'all talking about Sam Cook. What about the money on them books, man? Come on, man. <laughs> But listen, I got the call in the middle of you um, giving giving a description of how you come up with the 60 second clips about, yeah, I know you, you covered that you do your research, that you already have your bullet points on the things that you want to cover. You already have gone through all of the channels to come up with the videos that you want to display. So take us through how you come up with those 60 second clips. Yeah, so basically, I'll uh, research a topic, something to grab my attention, 
and I'll research it and then I'll get videos pertaining to it or just get my own commentary without videos. And then what I do is basically I just spit what I'm going to say kind of like freestyle. And then, from, and then from that freestyle, I'll start tailoring what I really want to say. But all, all I'm really doing is just repeating the 60 seconds, but just refining every time I say it. So about, about the fifth time, it's already a whole script I've already come up with in about a five to six minute uh, time span. But you understand, I've been doing this for a couple of years, so it's a little easier just to start spitting stuff off the top of my head. And I write and I do music, so it's kind of, all that stuff kind of coincides with making these videos. You know, I like to edit these videos. I like to come up with, I like to, and I like to be funny too. Yeah. So part of me is a comedic writer anyway. So I just like to do all these things and, and have this stuff come together. You know, some of my videos go viral. Some of them don't, most of them don't, but every now and then they'll go viral, you know, and. Well, I would say most comedians would tell you most of their jokes don't get told on stage. Facts. Most of the stuff hits the floor. Like most of the stuff is not stuff that's for public consumption. Mm -hmm. So the fact that the you know the majority of your videos don't go viral. But let me ask you this, because bringing about the topic of things going viral or not, like what makes you decide? Like how do you decide what you're going to talk about, what you're going to cover? Honestly, if I have a topic in my head and it makes me second guess posting it. I post it. Wow, okay. So I, I really only pick the things that I feel like are a challenge for me to post. Meaning, if I say this, this may get the backlash. I say, okay, I need to post that. Because if I post something that I know people are just going to consume easily, it might not, that's not That's not my lane. It's not going to move them to emotion. Yeah. My lane is to make you eat it and want to puke. That's my lane. I'm, I'm in the puking throw up vomit lane. If you want to listen to my stuff, I want you to regurgitate what's already in your system so you can make way for what I got to give you. The reason why I'm laughing is because if you think of some of the greatest, some of the greatest entertainers of all time, and, and, and the one particular person that comes top of mind right now, now I can definitely go down the laundry list of professional wrestlers, but one, mm -hmm. one, one entertainer who's historic in my mind, Andy Kaufman comes to top comes top of mind for me. And okay. he, he, he comes top of mind for me because he created this character called Tony Clifton. Okay. And when you said what you said about when it when I feel when I move to emotion, i.e. <laughs> puke could want to throw up yeah. by the idea of posting this, then I know that's what I'm gonna post. And the reason why I laugh is because when you're dealing with a talent like that, like Andy Kaufman, they don't let everybody behind the curtain. And I feel like I'm behind the curtain because I know who you are. Yeah. So I've had people come and ask me about your post, which yeah. already put me like, okay, hold on. Like that man got open comments. You can say whatever you need to say to, to that man about what he posted. But I think it's funny because people, people feel like that's really you. Like, yeah. and, and, and it's hard to separate, I guess for some people, it's hard to separate the person from their opinion. Yeah. And I don't understand how we've gotten to this point in society where I need you to agree with me all the time or you're not with me. It's nuts. 
yeah absolutely. to me it is absolutely <clears throat> it's nuts and you know i've had people contact people that know me contact me go on my dms call me text me really upset about what i post and i say the funny thing is there are people on social media that are millions of followers talking right way crazier than me yeah but yet y'all don't get offended by them oh they but love charlamagne they love charlamagne and charlamagne listen, be talking crazy but i realized something y'all know it's a separation you know when they say it they just talking reckless you know when i say it it's the truth that's the difference the difference is when i say it you know it's the truth it ain't like it, you don't hear it and say oh he's crazy you you hit me up so you can get some understanding like please tell me the world <laughs> please tell me the world's not gonna end tomorrow please listen bless the dominant please tell me the world's not about to end tomorrow please <laughs> y'all upset with me because you know it's the truth i have people in my dm chris they in my dm telling me I know what you're saying is true, but you just can't say it like that. Think about that. Oh, I know. I have, I have thought about it. I told you all the time when people come to me, and I and I and you know I say this all the time. I said, "Are you responding to how it made you feel, or are you responding to what he said?" Because I think a lot of times that's what people get crossed up. They're like, "Okay, what he said made me feel this kind of way," but I'm like, "But are you paying attention to the message, or are you focused on the message?" Yeah, because <clears throat> I, I can imagine that people had that kind, same kind of response to Jesus back in the day. I think oh, all all the great facts, truth. Because I, I clearly with white people and Martin Luther King and Malcolm X. Before King was assassinated, he had a sixty-four percent disapproval rating throughout America. So that means the majority of Americans did not like Martin Luther King, and he's the person that we praise today and honor today and the majority of the country white and black could not stand him i'm pretty sure muhammad ali had a very unfavorable oh yeah all of them did though. Yeah. yeah ali malcolm x anybody that was telling the truth is going to have that rating so you yeah. and i both know if everybody likes what you're saying you're not saying nothing yeah i will agree with the fact that if if what you're saying isn't really moving people to emotion in either way or even better to act move people to action like oh, what do you yeah, really say? yeah yeah you know I, what i'm saying like what like like what are you really saying like even marvin gaye sang a song like what's going on it made the people want to act though yeah i mean again i think when you talk about the social commentary that was coming out of the the late 50s and the 60s kind of died down in the 70s with disco a little bit but um yeah. when you listening to to me that's the, that was the birth of soul music right because this, yeah. was, this was people coming from their heart and from their soul dealing with the consequence of coming out of what some people would call the uh the what they call it like the greatest history or greatest period in american history the 50s which i don't know who who, who that was great for but <laughs> <laughs> I mean, clearly it wasn't great for people that look like you. I'm going to tell you why they say it's because that's what Elvis came out. Oh, that's that's all. They, that's all they basing it on. They ain't based, it, what, what was good about the 50s? What was good about Elvis? Uh, facts. 
He took all our music, our swag. He took everything. And, and he didn't even really do a good job. Like, it was okay. But it don't hold no water in my house. Yeah. My folks wasn't bumping him. Tell you nah, that now. No, 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 they wasn't. Well, man, we talked a little bit about I, what, what I definitely want to catch up on is where do we go from here after we discussed our Kelly? I think what we said was going to happen, happened. Um, they were outraged about R. Kelly. Mm -hmm. Then a then a slew of other people came up getting women, getting girls pregnant at 16 and all kind of cases and, and charges and it wasn't no mute nobody else. Nah. All kind of, that, that one doctor was was kidnapping the, the gay black men and killing them in the, his condo and no, no outrage about anything else except R. Kelly. And the one reason they gave was Stop making excuses for R. Kelly. Everybody kept saying, but what about everybody else? And everybody kept saying, stop making excuses for R. Kelly. So what happened happened. We had the outrage and it died down and then something new came up and you know, now it's Gucci and you know how it goes. <laughs> so we gonna mute Gucci too? You gonna mute Gucci? I never wore it, so I... I, I wish, did, I did buy the cologne though, I can't hate. That, that, that Gucci, that Gucci guilty, like that, that that cologne was fire. But actually, I think they stopped making it. So, you know, kudos to Gucci, man. Shout out to Gucci. Shout out, shout out to Gucci, man. Most y'all wear, but most y'all wearing Poochie though. So I don't know why y'all even getting upset. Most of y'all stuff is fake. It's from the flea market. Yeah, they was wearing, they was wearing that Lucci. Yeah, that Lucci. That designer ain't Italian. That designer from Korea. Or China. That's some young boy. Some young boy designing them outfits. Come on, man. Said he was rocking that Karuchi. Yeah, man. <laughs> Y'all talking about boycott. I'm, I'm about to burn my Gucci. Man, you could tell it was fake by how fast it burned up. No, man, when Soldier Boy got on the Breakfast Club with them old underwear bands around his head, man. What they call them, them old britches? He had them <laughs> I was like, I didn't even know Gucci made headbands. Them things look when, like some old draws, man. When did Gucci make loincloths, man? I'm like, what the heck? <laughs> like, you a Spartan warrior now? What's going on? Man? I was like, <laughs> Oh, Come on, man, man. Listen to me. I said, listen, I, I hardly know about that jumpsuit. But boy, when he had that headband on, I thought, <laughs> yeah, about, I thought about my granddad old draws, man. I said, listen, bro, you need to. Wow. Your grandfather, I know he had them white briefs, didn't he? Well, they, they, they was the same color as that headband. <laughs> <laughs> my man, Papa. They were all white. They were all white. Is it eggshell? Is it vanilla? We don't know what to cut. Butterscotch. Listen, <laughs> French vanilla. <laughs> Come on, man. Oh. <laughs> man, listen, that thing was terrible, man. That thing was terrible. But let's talk a little bit about it because Soldier Boy actually had some good points in his dialogue with, you know, Angela Yee, Charlemagne, and, and DJ Envy. I, I liked his I liked his points, but more importantly, um, what was the guy that he got into it with when 
they were asking him about well i, I don't care i don't even know who that was a uh, dj academics dj academics but i don't know who the young lady was when she asked him why you got so many businesses you think about that why do you have so many businesses she she's upset by that facts she was up that really bothered her because she kept asking she kept asking the question and when he finally heard her he was like why i got so many he was looking at her like are you crazy yeah but, but guess what though that's how she sees not soldier boy black that's man. how she sees black men because i guarantee you she wouldn't ask that question she would have never asked a black woman that she would have praised her nor would she have asked a white man that she would have praised her. Fast. she would have she would have said he was a financial guru he was a like they said about trump he's a great businessman that was a whole pitch to get for us to accept trump he's a great businessman uh he been in bankruptcy about six or seven times he ain't that great no nah. so and he didn't cover the tab and he didn't cover the tab so yeah <clears throat> i always pay attention to when people don't cover the tab like you know i always say i always act i always look at how people respond when the check comes mm. like everybody been popping bottles touching models all that you know stunting twerking jokes toasting feet let's on toast. couches let's toast to the good life spilling liquor everywhere i know when that black fold to come <laughs> We gonna see who fold, <laughs> man. When that when that waiter or waitress comes with that with that folder, everybody's posture changes. Everybody, everybody sit up. Listen, everybody. <laughs> Some people gone. Some people gone. They turn into either accountants. They turn into they turn into ghosts. They leave. They... <laughs> I remember one time we was at the Rose Bar, uh, Rose Bar here in Atlanta, and it was my party. So clearly, when the check came, you know the lady was looking for who to get a check to. I grabbed it up, and she was like, "Well, it's your birthday." I'm gonna tell you that what I told that lady that night, what I told that young woman that night. I said, "I said, yeah, I know it's my birthday." She said, "You shouldn't be paying. It's your birthday." I said, "Listen to me. It's my birthday." I said how I wanted to celebrate my birthday <clears throat> was show my friends appreciation for being with me for as long as I've been on this earth. That lady looked me dead in my face and said, can I give you a hug? Cause she said she had never heard anything like that before. I know she hasn't. Yeah, not, a lot, she of, has. not a lot of character in that world. No, oh no. In the club? <laughs> Is she a bottle girl? Facts. Character. And somebody grabbed, a, grabbed the bill? Somebody grabbed the bill. Facts. She got a nice tip that night too. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Nah. You gotta go ahead and keep the party moving. Anything you want to catch up or cover before we keep keep moving? Uh, no, I think we pretty much caught up now. We okay. pretty much into this thing right now. <laughs> Facts. <laughs> Cooking with grease, as we say down yeah. south. Um, Sam Cook. I know you saw that Netflix special. Yes. I didn't know that much about Sam Cooke until I watched it. You know what's crazy, man? I knew of Sam Cooke, but I didn't know Sam Cooke. I knew a few songs, but I didn't really know the impact and how great of a man he was in a short period of time because he you know, died at 33. So 
how yeah. how much impact he had on the music game. Like he literally, he did a lot in a short amount of time, like Tupac. Honestly. Yes, yes, yes. He did a lot in a short amount of time in a very difficult time. V- facts, very difficult, very difficult but, time. Yeah, you know, he was one of the first men to wear to wear his hair natural. <clears throat> yeah, and I said back then. That was something that was frowned upon from both white and black to have your hair natural on it, walking around with it natural. Yeah. Everybody said if you could, if you could do it, you know, fry your head, get that conch, you know, get that conch fritter put on there, you know. <laughs> that process. And, you know, get that process. Get that Tony Curtis with the curl hanging down here. Uh, you know, do all that stuff. Cause that's what, you know, the whole point back then was to try to be as to white. Fit in. Yeah. As yeah. white as possible, yeah. you know. And Sam Cooke, as a crossover sensation, said, "I'm wearing my hair natural." And then he used to urge other black artists and people to wear their hair natural. And I was like, he was doing this in the '50s and early '60s. It's black folks now that won't do it, and we quote unquote free. Yeah, I mean, so how does that make you feel when you see, you know, people still? Not necessarily rocking perms, I guess. I don't know, but um, still, you know, doing the European styling with their hair, you know, blonde hair on, on, on black people and stuff like that. I'm a, I'm gonna tell you something. As much as we don't want to admit it, we are still much in the front mind frame of idolizing whiteness. Not all yeah. aspects of whiteness, but we are in the mind frame of idolizing aspects of whiteness to the point where you see girls that will never not have their weave in their head. Yeah. Like, Agreed. you know what I mean? Like, you'll see guys that are intent on not getting a woman their skin color because they want light-skinned children like it, we see it all the time but the funny thing is it's become so much a part of our community that what we think is not them but it actually is a product of that think about the paper bag test back in the day with the sorority i forgot all about that man think about that like so you so you got the aka saying you got to be light-skinned then all the deltas come in they're like well we're gonna let you be dark-skinned and then you got the, like the alphas, most of them like was light skinned. Then you got the omegas, it was dark. You see what I'm saying? So you see, it's like, even with our own community, we fighting with each other over something that we don't even realize is a product of whiteness. Yeah. <clears throat> One movie that really brought that from the Greek lifestyle top of mind for me was Spike Lee's School Days. Yes. Um, clearly when it came out, I was still, I think I might've been in middle school, getting ready to go to high school. But that definitely brought a lot of that, you know, that mindset and that mantra of what went into Greek life in the minds of African-Americans. Yes. And at these predominantly black, you know, colleges better known as HBCUs. Yeah. And you would think that if there were going to be any free thinking black people in this country, they were going to be at historically black colleges. Uh, hello, historically black college. So we're dealing with knowing your history and now you want to further your education with that knowledge. So you would think they should be the most woke people on the planet. 
Yeah. <clears throat> but think about it. Even the nature of a sorority and fraternity is still ba- based on Greek. Like, it's not based on African heritage. It's not based on um, Black heritage, even in America. It's based on Greek. So even in that, I don't know the details about it, but I'm saying even in that, you would think if it's something that's about us and for us, it would literally be about us if it's for us. But even that's not even wholly for us because the whites was having fraternities and sororities. So we basically just copied them. Yep. Why do you think that HBCUs, uh, why do you think it was important to have sororities and fraternities at HBCUs? Because I know, historically speaking, people would pitch community service, brotherhood, sisterhood. Clearly, we know things got took a dark twist yeah. um, in, in, in the 80s and, and in the 90s. And I think things came to a head in the 2000s. Yeah. You know, you know, with hazing and stuff like that. Um, what's your mindset about how we took the ideals of or ideals of brotherhood, sisterhood, community service, and, and it worked to this kind of perversion of systemic abuse, for lack of a better term, at a education or institution of higher learning. I believe that the purpose of the sorority of fraternities and sororities was to kind of pick out the leaders and the who's who's of our people. Mm-hmm. That's why you had a hazing process. That's why you had um, community. Basically, you wanted to find out who who was the most courageous and bravest, the most selfless, the most uh, um, educated, the most of our society in black, you know, youth, I guess, because you're going to college, you wanted to pick out the cream of the crop. So I think sororities and fraternities actually did that. If you look now, many great black people came from fraternities and sororities and black colleges. So it did do its job in the beginning. I don't know about now, but I say in the beginning, it did do its job. But even in the beginning of it though, its first roots were still based in systemic racism. Like its foundation was still based in, we want to find the who's who of black society, but we also want to be closer to white acceptance, which is why you'll have a paper bag test, which is why you'll have, oh, the president has to be light-skinned because you're still looking across the horizon to white people. So even a fraternity and sorority back then was still in comparison and contrast to a white one and white society. But I think the message has been lost in it. Yes, because the foundation of it wasn't pure in its creation. Because think about it, if it was pure, it would literally be about embracing blackness, period. Agreed. Which has no limitations on it. So that goes from light to dark, from dark to light, short to tall, fat to skinny. We are embracing blackness, blackness and we're going to build from that. Yeah, I mean, I, I know when I was in school, not to knock Greek life, you know, it, it, did, it didn't appeal to me. I, I've always pretty much been a lone wolf. Like, I, I've, I have tons of friends, but 
when people would pitch the idea of community service and you know brotherhood sisterhood you know all that really wasn't my bag right because yeah. i just didn't feel like the folks that were in those things were people that i would hang out with anyway you know Fast. again i'm not i'm not knocking them but it just wasn't my bag yeah and i mean i think it's good and bad with anything and i think that most of the folks that joined the fraternity or sorority wasn't joining for community service. You know, no. they weren't joining to uplift the race. A lot of them had parents that were Greek. A lot of them wanted to be popular. Some of them were nerds. Some of them wanted to get chicks. Some of them wanted to be guys. Some of them wanted to fit the stereotype. Like I know when I was going to school, the AKAs were light-skinned and looked good. The the Deltas were, the, were a little bit harder and darker-skinned. The, the Zetas was, it was over. And then the SG Rose, it was a wrap. So, you know, we saw, I saw the difference in the sororities and I'm like, but guess what? That stuff comes from when it started. Facts. You feel what I'm saying? So I'm just saying to me, it wasn't sustainable because at the core of it, it wasn't pure in the sense that it was still in, I guess, competition or trying to get white acceptance. You know what I mean? Like trying to say that we, we can't be like white versus saying that black is excellence without white. Yeah, absolutely. And I think definitely that's all anybody coming from that. And one one specific person that I, I learned a lot from and shameless to say this, but I've learned a lot about James Baldwin in the last two years. Mm, me too. I agree. Clearly, when I watched I'm Not Your Negro, and I heard of James Baldwin, I never read his stuff um, up until I'm Not Your Negro. And when I'm listening to <clears throat> how bold and intellectual and defiant and outspoken these people were during that time, it, it's funny to me to hear, the, to hear terms like woke and people making it trendy yeah. and I'm like okay we're not really facing what those folks was facing those if we woke those people were wide awake yeah them people they never went to sleep they've been up <laughs> they've been up all the way up. It, they, they, they insomniacs if we woke <laughs> they zombies <laughs> they never been to sleep facts yeah nah James James Baldwin and when you said you know light skin perm pressed hair and all that stuff that dude was a tough guy to look at. Man, listen, I'm talking about no edge up, <laughs> natural. I don't know how many packs he smoked. Man, day, smoking man. them packs. He looked like somebody poured coffee in his eyes, man. In his eyes. <laughs> and then pour ash on him and then set him back on fire. James, <laughs> but he guess, was tough to look at, man. But guess what about James, though? I tell people, back then when you said something, it was an immediate consequence. Y'all worrying about a oh. check now. Oh, yeah. Back then, it was the check and the life. Oh, fast. It was both. Like, you, your check gone and your life gone. So yeah. when them oh, guys, the check been gone because them people was, getting, them people was yeah. getting juxed like left and right. Oh, yeah. I mean, which they still juxed us today, but, you know. Um, I mean, even with Sam Cooke. We back on Sam Cooke. Dude Sam, made yeah. off with his money. Yeah, dude Sam, made off with his money. And I'm like, this... 
and I'm gonna say this, and y'all gonna say this anti-Semitic, but I want y'all to look up the word anti-Semitic. There are a lot of Jewish lawyers and managers of these artists, and it's a common theme with all of them. They taking the money. We have to say what it is. Sam Cooke gave the man the proposal for him to have his own record label, his own, all this stuff, and the dude took all his money. And you want to tell me it's anti-Semitic, but it's, it's Jewish people doing it to black people consistently. All the time. All the, and I'm just like, at some point in time, we got to call a spade a spade. We do. No pun intended. No pun intended. <laughs> no cap. So they go the crazy part though. I'm watching the documentary and Chris, and I'm not even getting to the end. And I said, this dude gonna take his money. Yeah. I knew it. I said, cause there's no way this guy is gonna have character with the black man in the early 60s. He's not gonna do it. There is no incentive to do it. There's no yeah. incentive. Getting over on somebody black is nothing. He don't know. I, I, I was about to say, not only is there no incentive not to do it, there's no consequence for doing it. There's no consequence. So what's the difference between a Sam Cooke and a James Brown? Nothing. Well, they didn't make it out. They, they didn't take James Brown money. He, he pissed it away. Okay, well, I, I'll say this. And, and, and I, I'm glad... In the in the people in, in the I'm just what you said in the in the <coughs> men it wasn't too much different. But I about, agree with that. But about that money though, the difference was I don't think James Brown immediate circle had white folks in it like that. I don't think so. I don't know for sure. I don't think James Brown's inner circle had white folks in it. Meaning if he has a meeting with his team. Most of, it's not going to be half white and half black. It may be mm -hmm. a couple of white folks in there, but most people in there are going to be black. So Facts. I feel like he probably had more control over what he was doing because Sam Cooke, that guy was referred to Sam Cooke by somebody he trusted. So that means the person that Sam Cooke trusted wasn't really a good guy either because he lent him to a shark. So, but I looked at the common theme was a lot of the folks around Sam Cooke making the big decisions in his life were white. Yes. So to me, that's a telltale. And not to sound like I'm against white, but history has shown us that that hasn't been beneficial for black people to have white people over their affairs. I've never seen it. And, it, and it's all, always this kind of... Always this kind of like caretaker vibe going with and I'm like you like they work for you they work for you so you're literally taking care of them because if you're not making money they're not making money but it's always kind of sort of like this surrogate father role that the white guy takes on and Mr. Drummond they always get out they always make out with the money so yeah so to answer your question I think James Brown was a little bit smarter and saying that you know what because he probably peeped around him how many folks got got you know back then you yeah. know, we wouldn't get nothing back then they was stealing songs everything so I think James Brown was like not me man that lady said they were stealing songs for $25 a pop 
and make it twenty five dollars a pop, bro. Cook went platinum in nineteen fifty seven. I said, people, do you? I said, think about nineteen fifty seven and going platinum, and in the end of your career, a white man has all you own. That's tough. Yeah, that is. Tough. That's tough. And y'all want me to look at it and not see color. Everybody wants me to say this. He should have been smart with his money. He shouldn't have trusted him in the first place. He that's the problem. We don't want to all these excuses. It's been a long, a long time coming, but I know a change gonna come. Oh, yes, it will. Then I go to my brother And I say, brother, help me please But he winds up knocking me 